following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 4, 5 through 9, and 14 through 27. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh." Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not, as many of you know, the typical preaching pastor that's here on Sundays, but the elders met and decided that we needed somebody much better looking for this Sunday. (laughs) So here I am. That's not true. I don't think if we picked our preachers based off of handsomeness that I would be up here, and I, I don't think if we picked our preachers based off of their expertise or mastery of the sermon topics that I would be up here either, especially within this sermon series, which is all about wisdom. I have made some wise decisions in my life. I picked my wife, Emily, which was wise. I chose this church, which I believe was wise. I chose to bring donuts back into my diet, which I believe is wise. (laughs) But I have also made some very foolish decisions in my life, and uh, many that we don't need to spend time here listing out. And I think probably many of us in this room could say the same thing So hopefully this series has already been good for us. This is our third week. What we've already been through in the past couple weeks is what wisdom is and then how to get it. So if you were not here, then please go back and listen to those. But this week, what we're going to talk about is is how to actually live it. What does that mean? It means that once you have learned what wisdom is and then learn how one gets it, the next thing that we have to learn is and understand is how do we actually keep it? How do we keep it throughout our life? That's an important thing to learn. See, Proverbs was written hundreds of years before Jesus, and I'm sure at that time wisdom was important, and it's been important ever since. But when we think about where we're at in our times, a day and age where we're so much influenced by individualism, we have so many choices that we have to make, that we get to make, that people throughout history never really had the opportunity to make. So many decisions that were actually made for us, like our career path, or where we were going to live, or who we are going to marry. So many things that I think we take for granted 
that we have the freedom to choose now, which some of that praise God for, but what that freedom has done is led to people in our culture wanting the freedom to choose everything in life, which we don't have to get into the specifics of all the sin that has come from that, but these are the times that we are in. This is where we find ourselves. We have the freedom to choose much about our life. So in a sense, God's people have never needed wisdom more than we do now. I think I heard the average person makes around 35,000 decisions every day. And as we've heard in the past couple weeks, many times those decisions aren't very black and white. They are very much gray. And they can be decisions that are made with wisdom or with foolishness. We, of course, want to be making wise choices and not foolish choices because as Proverbs has already shown us in the past couple weeks, these decisions are what determine who and what we are becoming. I mean, I don't think there's a person in this room that wants to be a foolish person. So this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4. We just read it. From this text, I hope to show us three things. Three things that it's going to take if we want to live wisely. First one, it's going to take a difficult pursuit. Second one, it's going to take protection of our chooser. And number three, it's going to take experiencing the word. So please pray with me before we get started. Father, we do thank you again for uh, this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to just to come in here and worship as a family together, Lord. Uh, thank you for everything that's already happened, that we've get, we got to sing to you together, that we got to hear your word read, Lord, and respond back to you in the confession and, and then hear um, the truth of the gospel, Lord, and profess our faith, all of that is good news, Lord. So now we, we pray that you would be with us as we are under the preaching of your word, um, that you would be with me as I speak. Would you highlight the things that are from you, Lord? Would you minimize the things that are not? Would you open up our ears to be able to receive from you this morning? That's the wisdom that we want. We want your wisdom, not any other type of wisdom, Lord. So help us to hear that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a difficult pursuit. So Tim Keller calls this pursuit that we're going to go through a, a glorious fight. Now, I don't think that we have a problem with that type of language. We talk about fighting here at Sacred City a lot. We talk about things like fighting for faith and fighting our sin, fighting for joy, fighting to love God and in, in our neighbors. Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes Christians can make is seeing these fights that we're in as is something that can be done passively. We think God's in control. I am not, which would be true. But then foolishly, we may think, therefore, it doesn't really matter what decisions we make or doesn't really matter if we actively fight for any of these things. Well, we might also think that we don't have to fight for wisdom, but that's not what Proverbs teaches us. We see that clearly in our text. So if you haven't already, please open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 5. Should also be up on the screen. This is Solomon speaking to his sons with this desire to pass on wisdom to them. Verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. With just a simple understanding of those two admonitions, we can see that there's nothing passive going on here. He doesn't say, hey, do whatever you want and just expect wisdom to come to you. He doesn't say wish for it or hope for it. He, he doesn't even say pray for it here. He says, get it. 
The word here, forget, I think will help us understand this even more. It's a word that means to purchase. If I want to own a house, is there something active that I need to be doing? Of course, I need to actively search for a house, actively secure financing for that house, actively make an offer and maybe put down earnest money, and then actively sign a bunch of papers to obtain what I want. I'm pursuing it. I'm going after it. If you've bought a house here recently, you probably know how active that pursuit has to be. Similarly, the instruction here is to go after wisdom, to pursue it. Now, before I get into why I say a difficult pursuit and not just a pursuit, let's continue in our passage to see why I describe it as a pursuit. As we continue in this passage, we see the instruction here describing wisdom as a woman. This is done throughout Proverbs, and here it is being used as a metaphor to motivate the sons to actively pursue wisdom. He's likening wisdom to a bride that he will marry. In Israel during these times, it was much different than our day where we wait to get married until after we went to college and entered the workforce and found the perfect match. In their culture, a woman was given the status of bride when she reached sexual maturity which was usually around 12 or 13 years old. Her father would give his approval, and then the young man who was to be her husband would pay a dowry. A dowry was the amount of money that would be paid to compensate the bride's family for the financial loss they would take on by losing their daughter. So in a sense, a man would purchase his bride. With that understanding, let's read this whole section. Verse 5, get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. I could see a son thinking, why, dad? Verse six, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Verse seven, he repeats the admonition. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Again, why, dad? Verse eight, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. To answer this question of why, Dad, Solomon is trying to put flesh on his words. He says that his words, if they are kept, will bring the good life, a life of wisdom. But he knows his sons are going to ask, what do you mean by good life? Can you give me an example? The example that he uses is a picture of a good and healthy marriage between a man and a woman. In verse 6, the terms forsake and love, speak to this man actively pursuing his wife, not just being a roommate, not just responding to her needs when she is clearly fed up with him, not just saying he loves her occasionally, but actually does loving things for her. He protects her, provides for her, connects with her, sacrifices for her, is intentional about emotional intimacy with her. I figured I was going to get some more amens from the women on that one. The terms keep and guard speak to the woman rewarding her husband for his actions, for his pursuit of her, which I'll leave it to you to figure out what, more than likely what his reward was. In verse 7, the admin... <laughs> In verse 7, the admonition gets even more serious. He says, not only get wisdom and insight, but the whatever you get phrase here means in exchange for all your acquisitions. 
In other words, the dowry that you will pay for this woman, wisdom being her name, be willing to give everything that you have acquired in life up until now for her. That shows that you prize her highly and you embrace her, literally meaning that you cherish her and hold on to her. In return, she will see you as someone with a high position, with authority, as an influential leader, all things that in this culture were extremely important to a man, a culture of honor. Honor was prized. His reward continues in verse 9. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This verse brings a climax to the reward. Honor, respect, love in return will be the reward for the man who actively pursues his wife in this way. Just an amazing Beautiful illustration attempting to motivate the sons to get wisdom. Now, maybe this picture is motivating for us, but I think we all at least can see this picture, and hopefully, those of us that are married have experienced what it's describing. But I'm sure we also all know how difficult this actually is. Men, to keep with this illustration, we are all. 100% about rewards from our wives, I'm sure. We all want the blessings that God has given a man that is married to a woman. We say yes and amen to physical intimacy, honor, respect, support, help. All of these things are amazing. But how many times do we expect to be receiving all of those things without doing our part? How difficult is it to not get wrapped up in our own worlds and totally forget about our wives? How difficult is it to lay our lives down and sacrifice whatever our wants and needs are so that we can go meet her needs? I don't think I'd be in wrong in assuming that most of us stink at being the type of man that's described here. I can assume that because I know how difficult being the type of man that's described here is. Well, what we see from these verses, which are full of words that get across determination of will, if we want to live wisely, We have to accept and embrace wisdom as something we actively pursue and fight for, no matter how difficult. No different than if we want a God-honoring, enjoyable marriage, we have to actively pursue our spouses and fight to be what God has called us to be as spouses, no matter how difficult that may be. Pursuing wisdom has to be something that we are relentless about, something we are willing to sacrifice for. If you doubt that, we should look at verse 7 again. It says, sacrifice everything that you have to get wisdom. Does that not just sound difficult? Why in the world would it require that much in order to get and keep wisdom? Why is it such a difficult pursuit to be on? Two reasons I can think of. Both of them we've already heard about in this series. Number one, We are naturally fools. We've heard this before. A child doesn't come into the world neutral. They come in as corrupt and foolish. What determines whether or not the child remains foolish or becomes wise is the environment that they are put in over time. Is it an environment that raises them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Or is it an environment that raises them up in anything else? Perfectly raise your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and their path to wisdom probably isn't very difficult. 
But hands up if that was your experience as a child. Your, perfect, your parents were perfect in raising you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's no hands up. That's why it's difficult. It's difficult because of our sinful nature combined with our experiences in life that have led us away from the path of wisdom. I think a good way to see this and understand this is things like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, these temperament inventories. I'm sure we've all taken these, right? They show us that there's people, certain temperaments that make us introverted or extroverted. There, people are intuitive or analytical. Some are like closure, some like process. Well, studies done on temperaments, and these studies were done through multiple cultures, show us that humans have three basic ways that we're neurologically wired in order to deal with problems. Some of us retreat. These are the anxious people who think a problem can't ever be solved, so it's best to just leave, whether that be physically, mentally, or emotionally. Some of us attack. These are the optimistic and aggressive people who think every problem should be solved best head on, typically by them. Some of us just sit there and do neither. These are people like me, who see every problem as not that big of a deal. All we need to do is calm down and think. Probably not do very much, but hey, at least we're thinking and talking about it. The psychologists in this study said that we're all wired in a way that makes us instinctively respond in one of these ways because we think that our way is absolutely the right way to respond and can't see how other options are anywhere close to being the right way. Sound familiar? The most amazing thing about this study, though, was this. In most of the situations observed, it was shown that the people's natural response was the wrong response. Here's how they measured it. If the situation was highly dangerous, the correct response was retreating. If the situation was of moderate danger, the correct response was meeting it head on. If the situation was of little danger, the correct response was actually holding pat and thinking and talking about it. But the people in the study didn't change their responses based on the situation, which would show wisdom. But their responses were based on their natural temperament, even though this response didn't fit the situation. Why? Because we're foolish by nature. And it's difficult to act contrary to our default. One of the ways we have described wisdom was competence in regards to the complex realities of life. What in the world does that mean? It means that we, what we think is reality is most of the time not reality. I was just thinking down here as I was singing. Sinfully, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm killing this in here. I'm pretty good. Right? Maybe they're going to have me up on stage in a couple weeks. That was my reality. But I'm sitting next to Amanda, who actually is a singer, and she's probably like, what in the world is going on over here? Right? She has a different perspective than I actually do on it. We might see a problem as not very dangerous, therefore not act on it, but in reality, it's extremely dangerous for us and our loved ones. And it brings destruction into our lives because action isn't being taken. Or we might see a problem as extremely dangerous and therefore retreat when in reality it was not that big of a deal and it would have been best to just stay and talk about it. 
Wisdom is competence in that. Being able to adapt. Being able to realize that we might not have the right perspective and say, I need to see others' perspectives here. I know I think I see this situation correctly, but this situation is complex and I know that I'm not perfectly wise and might not be seeing everything here correctly, so I'm going to let others into this. I'm going to let God into this through prayer and through his word. I'm going to let brothers and sisters in Christ into this through counsel. And not only am I going to let them speak into this, but I'm going to fight against, not fight against their perspective and actually allow it to impact a decision that I'm about to make. That's how to live wisely. Now that's just easy peasy, isn't it? Here are a few things to think about. How easy is it to let someone else other than your spouse look in at how you're spending your money? For some of us, it may not be that easy to even let our spouse look in at how we're spending our money. Men, how much do we enjoy when we sit down with other men and the conversation starts with them saying, let's talk about how you're loving your wife. I'm seeing some issues there. Ladies, how do you respond when a sister in Christ may come to you and say, I'd like to talk to you about your relationship with your child. It seems like you're having some control issues there. Don't we all just love those types of conversations? Here's the deal. If we aren't having these conversations and letting others speak into and impact the choices that we make on a daily basis, we're being foolish. That's what the Bible teaches. You see, wisdom isn't just being smart. Actually, some of the smartest people are the biggest fools because they are so smart, why in the world would they need other people to look in and give them a different perspective to see reality? We need to become more competent at seeing all the possible options in a situation, but it's hard because of our foolishness. We come into this life as fools, and if we don't actively pursue wisdom, regardless of how difficult that may be, we will continue in our foolishness. Wisdom is acquired, and it's acquired through listening to others' perspectives so we can start to see a clearer picture of reality than we already do. Those others being God himself primarily, but also people that he's working in and speaking through. The second reason that this active pursuit is difficult, I won't spend much time on, but it's because everything that we just talked about doesn't happen in a day or a year, or even a decade. Pursuing wisdom takes a lifetime. It's a gradual journey that remains difficult throughout. We have to fight against our flesh and who we are, who the experience of our life has made us to be. But for the entire time that we're here on this earth, we'll see little glimpses of the wise person that God wants to make us into. And that growth in wisdom builds momentum. Wisdom begets wisdom. It moves us in the right direction. We see that in verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the light, for the full light of day. The brightness increases as the day goes on. Our wisdom increases as time goes on if we're staying on the path of wisdom. The more we stay on the path of righteousness, the more we make wise choices, the more we actively pursue wisdom, 
the more peace, the more joy we will experience and the wiser we will become. Just like Pastor Justin talked about a couple weeks ago as he looked back on his past decade of life, he can see evidence that he's been on this path. He hasn't arrived, he's not Mr. Wisdom, but he has reason to celebrate the growth that's happened in his life and has reason to be thankful that God has been gracious to him in this area. This is what we all should want as Christians. But we also all should know that this growth in wisdom is going to be difficult, lifelong, gradual, active pursuit. A pursuit that includes prayer, Bible reading, Bible study, the sacraments, living in community and on mission with brothers and sisters in Christ in a local church, being under elders who love you and are shepherding you. That's the first piece of what it means to live wisely. Our second piece in living wisely is going to take protecting our chooser. I know that's a weird way to describe it, but I couldn't think of anything cooler. What I mean by that is shown in verses 14 through 23, really 14 through 27, but it's highlighted in verse 23, so let's start there. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The NIV translates this verse, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This is very important. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, how to get it, how to keep it. And here it's saying, there's nothing more important if you are going to get wisdom and keep wisdom than protecting your heart. Why is this the case? It's because every choice we make, everything we do comes from what's in our heart. Our heart is our chooser. Now, when I say heart, I'm not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood throughout our bodies. We also wouldn't define the heart like most people in culture and say that it's the seat of our emotions. This is because when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's not just talking about emotions, it's talking about our mind, will, and emotions. We can look at places in the Bible where it tells us to think with our heart, act with our heart, and of course feel with our heart. So if this is true, if we are going to live wisely, we have to be careful about what's coming into our minds, what we are attaching to emotionally, and what choices we are making. That brings us to verse 14. So let's read all the way through 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Solomon now lays heavy on his sons this admonition to avoid wickedness. Why does he need to speak to this? Why can't he just continue to motivate by showing his sons the benefits of pursuing wisdom? I believe the answer is because the father knows how strong temptations can be. Temptations that come at our mind, will, and emotions. He can't assume that by emphasizing the benefits of righteousness and wisdom 
it will be enough to keep his sons from pursuing wickedness and foolishness because he knows the fool that resides in his sons. The fool that we as humans come into this world as is in desperate need of warnings against the destruction coming, continuing to be a fool will bring. This is why with young children who have not been saved yet are a big part of raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is warning them against foolish choices. Yes, you want to show them pictures of grace within your discipline, but also within your discipline has to be something painful when they do something foolish to show them a picture of con- that consequences come to foolish people. Now, the degree of our foolishness, I think, is shown by what the Father has to say here. In verse 14, he says, do not even enter the path of the wicked. Do not even walk in their way. Because just like wise choices on a daily basis keep you on the path of wisdom and the good life, foolish choices take you down the path of folly and destruction because those choices can harden your heart. They can negatively affect your mind, will, and emotions. Which means, we as fallen human beings don't have the freedom to try being a fool for a while and see how it goes. I'll say that again. We as fallen human beings don't have the freedom to try being a fool for a while to see how it goes. Remember, every choice that we make is shaping us, and it takes us down either the path that makes us a wise person or a path that makes us a foolish person. That's the only options we have. I know we wish that there were other options, at least a third option. We wish that we could kind of go back and forth between the wisdom and foolishness whenever we feel like it, but that's not an option that God gives us. He gives us the option of the path of folly or the path of wisdom. And we never know how weak we actually are at any given time and how much stepping on the path of wickedness is going to lead us to desiring more of it. Pastor Ray Ortland, in commenting on this section, says that every one of us, me, you, is always five minutes away from total disaster the choice to just watch a little bit of pornography because you believe that you can stop at any time. The choice to leave church and not be there for just a little bit of time because you believe that you can choose to come back at any time. The choice to stop tithing and giving generously because you have to catch up on some bills because you believe that you can get back on track at any time. The choice to not approach a brother or a sister who has hurt you because you think that resentment and anger won't fester up inside you and make things worse as time goes on. Any sin that we can think of, just a little bit, can become a lot if we aren't fighting to stay off the path of wickedness. We may tell ourselves there's grace for us in this, and yes, that is true. But what we have to ask ourselves, is grace really what we are experiencing as we make the choice to not guard our hearts. Because grace has the power to change. Grace has the power to change our hearts, to change us and the choices that we are making. So if change isn't happening, 
then grace is not what we are getting. What we might be getting is God giving us up to ourselves, which without a doubt will bring more danger into our lives and end in destruction, as Proverbs tells us. I know none of us want that to be the case. None of us want more destruction in our lives. None of us want to end in death. So we have to choose to turn away. Choose to not step foot on that path. That path in a worldly, demonic, fleshly kind of way looks appetizing. It looks like what will bring us what we want and what we need, but it's destructive. And it has the power to pull us in and keep us there if we aren't protecting our hearts. That is the path of foolishness and not wisdom. And it's a path that God hates, and we should too. That brings us to our final point. This third piece to living wisely is a good place to say last but not least. It's experiencing the word. Our minds probably go to the Bible when we hear that. If that's the case, praise God, that would be correct. We have to be reading, studying, memorizing what the Bible says if we want to live wisely. We should love the Bible and see it as our ultimate authority. In fact, the word of God is where Solomon gets his wisdom that we're studying in Proverbs. His wisdom comes from his love of the Torah or the first five books of our Bible and then some other Old Testament books. I think we can all understand and agree with this. We've probably all heard that we get wise by going to the Bible. Verses 20 through 22 speak to that. My son, be attentive to my words. His words came from his understanding of God's words. Incline your ear to my sayings. His sayings came from his understanding of God's words. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. We want this type of life that he speaks of. We want healing to our flesh. Now, we can receive this charge just like his sons, not just because we've heard that Solomon was the wisest man to have ever lived up until now, but more than that, we can receive all of Proverbs because not only was it wise men writing it, but it was wise men who were inspired by God himself, by the Holy Spirit himself. Tim Keller says what God is doing through Solomon in the book of Proverbs is basically taking the law of God, the great principles of the law of God, and bringing them down to earth for daily life. So Solomon, who is writing here, is saying, do you want to live wisely? Then listen to my words and take them into you. God is saying to us, listen to my words and take them into your hearts. Hear this. He's not just saying read them and use them as your guide to life. He's saying that they are life itself. In order to live wisely, in order to live the good life that wisdom will bring, we have to have these words, God's words, in us. This should make sense to us. We already mentioned this. What we believe, who we are, comes from our sinful nature that we were born with, coming into this world, combined with our experiences in life. Well, what's an experience? One way to describe them would be there are our interpretations of what happens to us in life. So we sense something. We feel something, see something, hear something. 
And then we tell ourselves or listen to someone else tell us something. And then those words that we hear make up our reality. Why is it that some of us believe unless we are incredibly successful and super effective in this world, our life will be miserable? Why is it that some of us believe that unless we are serving and helping others out nonstop, our life has no meaning? Why is it that some of us believe that we are never good enough and unless we do what is right all of the time, we will never be accepted? The reason is because we live in a fallen world, yes, but also because we've had an experience or more than likely multiple experiences in our lives where we told ourselves or someone influential in our lives told us that those lies were true. Much of who we are and therefore how we respond, whether that be wisely or foolishly, comes from the words that we have heard in our past and continue to tell ourselves in our present. If that's true, then what do we need? We need different words. We need words that are more powerful than the words that we are currently hearing now. And I'm sure many of us have been convicted by the lies that we are believing and have received counsel, hopefully biblical counsel. We are told the truths of scripture and we are told to study them, to go and pray through them. And that is all great. Please do that. These truths can, from scripture can drown out the lies that we are believing. So at one level, this is exactly what we need and want to be doing. But this can very easily become therapeutic instead of healing. Now, we typically see those terms as synonymous, but they aren't. Therapy is about treating something, many times by just masking it. It's a way of managing something that's gone wrong. This is necessary sometimes, and thank God for it, but healing is not just treating something or managing it, but restoring something back to its normal state. That's really what we want. That's what we need if we're going to live wisely. We need restoration. We maybe have experienced this before. We're believing a lie. We may believe that we have to project ourselves perfectly in public, keep the image that we think is required to be accepted and loved. If we are there, one comment from someone that critiques what we have done or how we have done it sends us into the state of questioning who we actually are in Christ which would mean that we believe our identity, who we are, comes from acceptance of creatures instead of the creator. That's a lie. If we are believing that lie, do we really think that memorizing scripture and reciting it over and over again is really going to change us? Is it really going to bring healing and restoration? We probably tried that. Seen very little change. The result was still struggling to have victory over the lies that we are believing and the sins that we commit because of those lies. And that's because it's therapeutic. It doesn't bring healing to our flesh. And the reason it doesn't is because we aren't Solomon's sons and daughters. We are God's sons and daughters. Why does that matter? That matters because it means that we don't have just the words of the Torah like Solomon's sons were receiving from him. But we have the words of the Torah coming from Solomon here that we can read differently than even Solomon could have read them. As Christians, sons and daughters, excuse me, sons and daughters of God, we can read them knowing that they are pointing to something better, to someone better. 
In John 5, verse 39, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the religious elite of the time, he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He then doesn't tell them that they are wrong about this, which shows us that the scriptures do have life in them. But then he explains why. He says that the scriptures that they were reading, which would have included Proverbs, testify of him. Which means that the reason we can look at the scriptures and expect them to, when we bring them into our hearts, expect them to bring change in our lives, expect them to bring healing to our flesh, expect them to bring restoration, is because the scriptures are not just words full of wise principles and rules for life. They aren't just an older version of Jordan Peterson's advice or the next genius that comes around, but the scriptures are a story about the one who created life itself and the work that he has done and is doing to restore life itself. Another place in John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's Jesus. We have to see this. Yes, we have to actively pursue wisdom. We have to protect our hearts, but both of those will fail us without this last piece. Both of those are actually impossible to accomplish without this last piece. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the word made flesh. He is the, wisdom, he is the word that we need to experience. Nothing else will change us outside of him. He is the wisdom that we want to pursue. He is the ultimate protector of our hearts. If we are still all fool and no wisdom, it's because we haven't experienced the word yet. If we have experienced the word but continue to do foolish things, it's because we have forgotten who he is and what he has done for us. We have forgotten that he created us. We have forgotten that he sustains us every day. We have forgotten that he left heaven, his home, and came down to earth. What did Keller say about what Solomon was doing with Proverbs? He was taking God's word and bringing it down to earth. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is the true and better Solomon. He's the true and better Proverbs, the true and better wisdom. Before we can do anything to keep wisdom, we first have to believe what he has already done. He came to live the life that we can't live, went to the cross and was punished so that we wouldn't have to be. Who does Proverbs says, say gets punished? Fools, the wicked, the evil. That's us. That's you. That's me. We don't deserve wisdom. We don't deserve peace or joy. We deserve death. The death that Jesus took on and then defeated. This means that it's nothing but the grace of God and the love of Christ that takes us off the path of wickedness, which brings destruction and ends in death, and places us on a better path on his path, which brings us peace and joy and ends in him.
Do we believe that? Do we meditate on that truth in all of its glory? Do we read about it, pray about it, preach about it, fill our minds with it, stir up our emotions with it so that we are affected by it enough that our wills desire to stay on this path and continue in his wisdom? That's the only way to not lose our way. That's the only way to keep wisdom. It's the only way to live it out. Take Christ. Take him into your heart. And on a daily basis, as you take one step at a time down the path of wisdom for the rest of your life, with unveiled face, behold the glory of our Lord. We get a great opportunity to do that right now. We get an opportunity, if we are a baptized believer, to not only hear Christ preach this morning, but we get to tangibly add to our experience this morning by touching the bread that represents his body, by tasting it and the wine that represents his blood being shed, all of it to remember the grace of God and the love of Christ. I pray this stirs up our affections for him this morning. But if you are not a Christian here this morning, we are what we're about to do isn't for you yet. It's not the experience that you need. What you need is to believe upon Christ. Believe upon him as your savior. Believe upon him as your, war, as your Lord and start down this path of wisdom that we all want to be on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, For your word, Lord, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us in it. We thank you that we get to study it together and that we get to hear from you. Father, so now I just pray that you, again, would would soften our hearts to be able to receive what was said, Lord. Everything that was from you, would you take take it and and place it into us, Lord, so that we don't leave here the same that we came in. Lord, we want to leave here differently. We want to live wisely, Lord, but we don't want to do that outside of you. There's plenty of ways to increase in wisdom, but true wisdom only comes from you, Lord. So take again what we heard this morning and make us wiser with it, Lord. And do that for our good and for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.